Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome to Horror Bites on Sabrina, the show where we highlight short indie horror games and the people who make them. I'm Keeping the Faith, and he is living in a hell world. Together, we are Neil Bolt and Jay Krieger. How goes it, Jay? Doing pretty well, man. I'm excited to uh, lament the uh, <laughs> the ever-changing uh, housing market and whatnot, but uh, we have two really fun games to talk about this week. We do. As, as we said on this week's episode, an anti-horror tale. And uh, with the release of The Exorcist Believer, we just so happened to have a game about cursed priests, you know, metrics, we know, you know, that's... <laughs> Uh, these games can be found on Itch.io, and if you play them and enjoy them, make sure you give them a bit of love by supporting them in whatever way you can. Um, so first this week, Jay has, as I said, brought us an anti-horror experience. But what exactly does that entail, Mr. Jay Krieger? Yeah, so a house in hell world's anti-horror sort of stance from solo developer Smick slash Grumpy Old Milk. Again, going to throw that developer name in the uh, bucket for <laughs> favorite developer names of the year. But um, this game was made for the Spoketober Game Jam. And this is a visual novel that tackles desperation, poverty, depression, and the horrors of the real estate market, along with a few genre conventions that tell its tale. So I think the reason why they gave this the anti-horror uh, sort of label, if you will, was to classify that it deals with a lot of very real world horrors, right? Which mm. is evident from the sort of list that I just gave of topics that this game tackles. I will say you should expect some very, you know, conventional horror elements as well, which is sort of the framework of everything, which is basically the protagonist is struggling to make rent. They work a job that is not only demeaning, but like doesn't pay well enough to really help them with rent or food and these different things. So it's a story that basically is about this person that needs to get out of this situation unless they want to be evicted. And so they basically hear about this urban legend in town where there's a house that supposedly has gold in it or some kind of treasure, and they go through and they investigate that house. Now, naturally, yeah. it ends up being a haunted, creepy house that's filled with some disturbing secrets to it. Um, this game takes about 15 minutes to complete. 
And it puts you through several scenarios in addition to exploring the house in various ways. So you'll go to work, you'll encounter situations there that actually can either sort of worsen your financial circumstances or it's basically just like a moot point. There's this very sense of, uh, I suppose, financial dread that Mm. is there where it's like, okay, if I make the wrong decision, it negatively impacts me and me needing to find even more money. Or it doesn't impact my situation at all, which is almost just as worse, right? It's like I'm jumping through hoops and there's no sort of reward, which I think is a smart way to handle this because it takes the very standard convention of a haunted house and whatnot, but it gives it a much more, I suppose, emphasis on real world circumstances that people can relate to in one way or another. Um, and, you know, especially thinking about like early mid 20s and it's like working a job just to have a job and then. You know, the housing yeah. situations and things can be very fraught. Um, but I would say, you know, removed from the premise of the game, this has a really fantastic presentation style. It's probably the best looking visual uh, novel that we've covered so far. And I think about one we covered recently um, that had this sort of graphic novel style. And if anything, this game really runs with that. It has this really mm-hmm. bleak black and white art style that's very expressive and I think is great at sort of utilizing shadows to basically emphasize how the player themselves is probably feeling or the character is feeling, uh, dealing with their situation and whatnot. Um, but also like there's some great writing in there as well. I think it's it's got some dark humor in there, which is kind of like making light of a shitty situation. Yeah. Um, you know, the game starts by saying uh, seven days and then follows up with, no, I wasn't going to die in seven days. I'd be evicted in seven days, which... <laughs> You know, when you think about the uh, situation this character is in, that you know could be just as bad. Thinking about their situation and how that's going to worsen. Um, but yeah, you know, it also has great ambient music, which I think helps craft a sense of atmosphere, like we mentioned. Yeah. And overall, there's a lot of great sort of internal monologuing that goes on with this character that gives us a great sense of who they are. You know, they you get a great deal of their personality as well through the writing, which sometimes can beat you over the head with it, I think, in these. But mm-hmm. here, it's very genuine and very natural, I think. Like, there's one instance where you can decide whether you're going to rob or steal from someone to help you make rent, basically, for another day, almost. And, you know, they say, I'm poor, but I have my principles. And, like, little lines of dialogue, dialogue like that early on, I think, do a great job of, um, you know, expressing who this character is in a way that doesn't feel overly contrived. It's a lot of sort of show, not tell, uh, in addition to that, which, of course, we're a fan of. Um, Before we dive into more of the genre conventions, though, I want to know what you thought of this and the sort of presentation and whether or not it did anything that kind of made it stand out from other visual graphic novels that we've uh, played. Well, I think the fact that, you know, uh, Smith has said that, you know, it's first game jam, first time using Renpy Engine, and also first time making a visual novel. And I think that's probably the biggest strength of doing this now is that they've gone into it with a clear idea of what they do and they in how they make their games and you know, they they've applied it to the visual novel format as a challenge like that. And I think that's why we get this very strikingly different style and tone to this that I mean it captures the essence of some of the darker like mainstream visual novels out there in a lot of ways and certainly in like um commentary and tone but in a probably in a more like acid-tongued way than than most examples out there you know it is very much 
as you said, grounded in reality in terms of how it's trying to get at you uncertainly. You know, that's like a big talking point in like horror movies you know, these days is about, you know, oh, everything's about trauma, everything's about real life, like that. It's like, that's always been the case. It's just, you know, how it's, um, how that is used exactly, how that is applied now, you know, if it's your mental health and it's like you are just using it as a crutch to make your horror movie and you're not really thinking about how it all connects, that's a problem. Yeah, that's where it will fall apart and those are sort of things that get attacked um, for it. And here it could have been very easy to just use that idea of, oh, you know, rent and, you know, the cost of living and all these things and, you know, buzzwords, unfortunately, as they are, as much as they are real problems. Um, but no, this is someone who feels something about it and wants to say something about that and really does channel that into the game they've made, I think. Yeah, one thing that the anti-horror tag for this game and the framework of it really strengthens, I think, the overall experience. And like you said, it's a proper implementation of those concepts and those struggles um, is that it combats the notion that you hear about in a lot of you know horror stories in general, mm. where it's like, oh, a, a character or protagonist is stupid for returning to a place or ignoring certain horrors. But you have somebody that has you know non-monster horrors in their life that are unignorable. So the fact they keep returning to this haunted place is you know understandable uh, to yeah. the degree of the framework of this story. And then you know the way that the series of events plays out and you know escalates and you return night after night after night and the events that unfold uh, corresponding with that sort of time distinction over the course of I think it was seven days, um, you know escalates slightly in terms of again, you know the horror aspect being a little more conventional, what goes bump in the night in this house mm. and whatnot gets explored. And then the game ends on a really funny twist. And it's one that is shocking. It's one that will make you laugh out loud because of how it catches you off guard and whatnot and the sort of uh, route that it takes. And I forget if I mentioned already, but this game has a minimum of seven endings and the developer uh, has hinted that there's more than that. Um, And, you know, I've got two different endings that were both very sudden and very funny, um, which I think, if anything, is the perfect way to end something like this because it is such a dour, bleak yeah. sort of tone for this experience. So to end on a lighter note, which I think is probably one of the most difficult things you could do. You know, I've gone on and on about the balance of horror and comedy, and mm-hmm. I think that this is a really, really fantastic understanding of tone, and more importantly, in understanding of when to use that more comedic yeah. tone. Um, so it's not just that there are laughs, but when they are deployed is. I think a perfect ending to this experience and it was creative enough and it blindsided me enough that I went back and immediately replayed so I could see what another ending would be. Granted, I'm not going to find out what all seven are, but (laughs) it's nice to see an experience like this that has multiple outcomes because if anything, when you think about life and situations, everything has more than one situation or uh, ending to a situation. So uh, yeah, this one was definitely a standout. And once again, Thankful that uh, you've gotten me into uh, these visual novels because they continually uh, deliver. <laughs> That's why my work is done. I go everywhere else now. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, what you said about the comedy, though, is a very on point. And I think the reason it works as an ending is because there's aspects of it throughout. You know, but as I said, very acid tongued, you know, very sharp and critical as it is. But it's done well enough. It's done and it's there and it fits the story. So you don't get the horrible contrast of like, a, what the fuck 
that was a why are we getting a funny ending to this it has to be the whole package and yeah it's well earned i think when when you get that sort of you know laugh out of it if you will so yeah that was a a very good one but uh, before we go to pick two we will take a short break another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And welcome back. For this week's second pick, Zombie Bite, brings us the Night of the Inquisitor prologue. Uh, as you may already suspect, this is the prologue to Night of the Inquisitor, um, which will be released at a later date. In this, you play as Father Kruger, and he gets himself into this mysterious place where a ghost will tell him that he was transported to the realm of the Inquisitor. As the game page says, maybe he'll be able to escape, maybe he'll perish. The choice is yours. Uh, so this is basically the old survival horror tank controls PSX style thing you know tried true and trusted we we are fans of it when it's done right um i think here the visuals are definitely trying to go more that uh, traditional vibe in terms of that but they also kind of have um less console more early pc sort of thing i think especially with the menus and things like and the, the text drops and things like that there's like a good mix of stuff uh so yeah, you are, you are basically a priest going along in this area. You have chase scenes. You have talked ghosts who are really cool looking ghosts. You know, they are just these pale shapes with you know, like huge sockets where their eyes once were and like that, and just like this low poly blood coming out of their mouth. And yeah, that straight away was like it gave me some really you know euro horror funky vibes. And you know that's always a good thing. I think when you're doing these games, they just feel like good bedfellows um i think we said this back with night at the gates of hell you know it's just there's something about low budget scuzzy looking psx style horror mixing with low budget scuzzy horror movies of the 70s and 80s and yeah this, this has a bit of that um i think some of the camera angles work on this is like really well done you know I think that is one of the those things that gets under underdone in a lot of these you know that the camera's always had to be perfect it's why when you go back to so many survival horror games of back in the day why they're so memorable is because certain camera angles catch everything perfectly in that moment it's why everyone remembers exactly where the dog's going to come through the window and isn't evil yep yeah you know, like you know exactly what corner you're going around when you see that first zombie or like um that first time you hear like the the radio scramble in Silent Hill, uh, you know, and you know, the, when you're in the diner, little things like that, or even when that first siren goes, there's something about it. You, you have to have that presentation. And there are times here where it is just really well done in that sense. So, you know, I was quite impressed with um, how much care and attention there have been made to having a cinematic style, you know, in, which I think, as I said, survival horror doesn't get enough credit for in, in terms of doing that. Um, and yeah, I think also the color palette a lot of the time reminds me more of PSX horror than you know ones that say they are trying to do that. 
this very sort of vibrant color here and there you know that feels unnatural you know you get a lot of sort of muddy browns and greens and grays in a lot of these because yeah they're trying to do low budget realism and unfortunately that's what it looks like um but here yeah there's lots of fucking there's purples and all sorts of stuff you know which is great so yeah as a sort of survival horror gamey you know runaway experience it's like most i would say but um it, being a prologue to saying it's going to be bigger of course that gives me great anticipation for what it will end up becoming but yeah i think there's something about this sort of um you know this whole church and churchyard sort of setting and things like that and just this idea of cursed artifacts and faith in general being included in that um yeah i, I was really intrigued by where it was going with that so yeah I, I, it was an impressive one how about you yeah i was a really big fan of this one and you know along the lines of what you said it was more about the presentation of this than mm. perhaps maybe the actual gameplay which you know is not a slight against the gameplay it's just for such a small slice it felt you know pretty much what you would expect which yeah. is a good sort of starting point i think in terms of how it operates but more importantly to what you'd been saying, like the camera angles, I was really impressed with because they felt more dynamic. They felt more unique in sort of capturing an angle of these pretty stock standard gothic sort of environments. Yeah. But, you know, it's more than it just being a unique camera angle or perspective. It's, you know, is the implementation of that, you know, visually interesting? And at the same time, is it not... Um, you know, obscuring the player's ability to sort of navigate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not this artistic decision that's at the expense of player frustration and, you know, it making it awkward to move around from that perspective or perform an action or something. So that was a really smart use of that. And like you said, the um, animations of the ghosts and also just their overall design has a great sort of variety to it, but also expressive in a way mm. that they don't just feel like, you know, monsters that have a blanket thrown over their head type of yeah. thing. Um, I will say, you know, when the uh, main baddie chases you throughout environments, I could not laugh just because it made me think of the Monty Python Spanish Inquisition yeah. sketch the, <laughs> the entire costume, time I was yeah. playing it, which absolutely killed me. But at the same time, I liked from a gameplay standpoint, the distinction between the ghosts who actually, you know, you interact with and they give you clues on mm. puzzles that then will allow them to have their souls freed. Um, and then you have the actual Inquisitor who is the main bad guy who will kill you and damage you and whatnot. So I like that there was a distinction between that. Um, yes. That was pretty impressive. Kind of reminded me on a low budget level of Ghost Wire Tokyo, you know, in terms of ah, that yeah. sort of like division of ghosts and you know, having you know, souls that need helping alongside, you know, the evil fuckers. You know, and there's uh, I think maybe that's part of the big draw for me because I really like that game. Went. It was nice to see two sides to an experience on the monsters that you're encountering because mm. often it's like, okay, I'm in this world. Everything is out to kill me. Everything is dangerous. But it's nice to see that, you know, that some of the monsters actually serve a function outside of combat or even outside of world building or sort of providing you with information about the world. It ties into the puzzles, which... You know, the puzzles that are here are pretty rudimentary. They're pretty standard. But again, it's more about them being connected to the greater narrative, which is freeing these victims who were victims of the Inquisitor and whatnot. Um, and I think even one of the puzzles is even just reassembling a body and you run around this gothic graveyard and you're finding the pieces of the body. So then their soul can, you know, go mm. to the afterlife or something like that instead of this purgatory. Um, and I think that, you know, little things like that 
could be very promising for the final game, right? It's the idea yeah. that perhaps from a gameplay standpoint, some of these elements might be familiar, but anything that you can do to make them have their own unique spin or twist and mm. sort of come full circle to something other than just progressing the story. It's that, okay, I'm learning something about this world or these people or these characters a little bit more. Um, so anything that, you know, kind of changes up that formula, I think is uh, what we're always in favor of. And this was a strong prologue, I think, for an experience we'll be uh, keeping our eyes open for. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, once again, done all right uh, this week. Uh, so <laughs> it, was wor- it was worth the wait, I think. Yep. <laughs> so uh, we are wrapping things up now. But as ever, if you are a developer of an indie horror game, demo, concept, game jam entry, we'd love to hear from you. You can drop us a DM at SaferInPod on Twitter, whatever, um, or SaferInPod at gmail.com on email. Either way, if you want to be highlighted or interviewed on the show, that's the routes to go. Jay, it's been spiritual, I think is the best way to say it. Uh, We will see you all next week. In the meantime, we will keep searching for more horror bites.